0: hello there and welcome back to the senate podcast we're on episode number 12 today and i'm joined by andrew the villain of far cry 7 tate what's up
1: <laughs> yeah i saw that picture you sent me in yeah i feel like that fits me perfectly not necessarily the andrew tate thing but being a, villain in a-
0: In his own right. First of all, if you were in Far Cry, what would your role be? Ooh,
1: I'd be the NPC character, like the the guy who you do for side missions, but, you know, you have to do a couple of missions, like a chest, you know, I'm sorry, quest line. But once you get done, you get something really nice out of it.
0: But it doesn't involve the main story. It's just like a, this is a nice little side quest to get better gear.
1: Sure, maybe a DLC type of thing, but just the concept of like, okay, I got to put up with this guy for a bit, but once it's all over with, trust me, it'll it'll be worth it.
0: Do I have the option to kill you?
1: Um, not with without mods. You have to mod for that.
0: Okay. Well, we know that Andrew Tate would be the perfect uh, Far Cry villain because Far Cry villains they are either dictators or some weird like cult leaders and. Uh, Andrew Tate posted a, a picture, I think, uh, a week ago, about a week ago, right? And he <laughs> was sitting, and you could see the back of his upper body and the back of his head, and he's like looking out the this gel cell. You can see the bars, but he's looking out into the distance, and it's like this mountain. It looks it looks like the cover of a Far Cry game.
1: Yeah, and it's I amazing. Think- yeah, don't quote me on this, but I think to the right it was what like a cherry blossom tree.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a cherry blossom yeah. tree, and I think it was almost like a like one of those uh, Japanese-inspired buildings with the what? How, how do you want to describe the roof? But yeah, it looked like it was set in Japan yeah. or Asia. So I don't
1: think they have a specific theme for that with um you know Far Cry yet because I know what was it? Far Cry Four had the Nepal, Nepal. Yeah, but we don't have like a maybe like a feudal China era or something like that.
0: That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I've been playing, speaking of Far Cry, I've been playing Far Cry 6, and I want to talk about it, but the setting is pretty much like fictional Cuba. Mm-hmm. So they've had a tropical island in three. I'm not sure about where two takes place. should look that up. Yeah. But Far Cry 4, Nepal. Loved. I, I, got into Far Cry with Far Cry 4. It was a fun game. Far Cry 5 was actually United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, where was it? Nevada, Montana, something like that.
1: Yeah, one of those um, more family-rooted type of places.
0: Yeah, out uh, out west or midwest. Mm -hmm. And then Far Cry 6, fictional Cuba with Giancarlo Esposito Mm -hmm. as the dictator. So imagine a feudal Japan Far Cry with Andrew Tate as the villain.
1: <laughs> yeah, like some sort of shogun or just some overlord watching over the area.
0: You know what they should do? They should have it like this. They should have him like actually being like a a white person coming into feudal Japan trying to like colonize. And but you're playing as the Japanese. Like yeah, be the be, kicker. Being the yeah, he would actually take over and you're a, a native, right? And you and Whoever you know, if it's in feudal Japan, you and the Japanese people have to take over being colonized. That would yeah, be cool.
1: That'd be a neat concept to play. That out. would
0: be that would be amazing. You know, when we do our publisher episode, I'm gonna have to remember that.
1: All right, that's for later on, but I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so I've been playing Far Cry Six, and I want to talk about games like Far Cry Six or just the Far Cry series, and Mm -hmm. how they're the perfect podcast game. So I get bored just uh, checking off boxes on a checklist, which are essentially Far Cry games or Ubisoft games. It's that formula Mm -hmm. where you have the list of objectives you got to do. You got to climb this tower. You have to liberate this little settlement. You have to steal this car from this compound whatever you got to do, you know, it's a checklist, you have an open world and it gets kind of boring because there's not much going on. You kind of have to, you kind of have to be super involved in the world. And, and, you know, I feel like it would be better in VR because it's, it's a type of game where you, it expects you to really live in the world, almost like, almost like a Red Dead type game, but not as polished, I would say. So what I do is I put I put on a podcast, and there are games like this where I just, you know, I put on whatever podcast or even audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing that with Horizon a little bit because it's another one of those open world, like um, cross off the, you know, the list, the checkbox, check the checkbox type of game. So you actually, I think, play more games like that than I do the the podcasting type games.
1: In a degree, yeah. I mean, I did play the first Horizon, and I didn't necessarily podcast my way through it, but I picked, um, what was it, Pandora. And I actually had a playlist of songs that were inspired by Lord of the Rings, because the atmosphere just kind of felt, like, going from one place to another felt immersive enough that you want to just enjoy that the scenery and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and well, I'm saying that because I know you're playing a game that is a podcast game for me, and that's Death Stranding.
1: (laughs) Yep, actually, Perfect uh, example. (laughs) Um, Actually, I got into it again. I played it before on the PS4, but for some reason, my save didn't carry over. So, long story short, I'm playing it on the PS5 since it's part of the PlayStation Plus extra tier, and... It's enjoyable enough to play again. Yeah, some of the stuff that you have to grind at the beginning sucks, but once you get past that and you're back in the flow of the end game content, it's really enjoyable.
0: I I love the game. It's just one of those games, um just like Far Cry. Um I feel like I'm working. I feel like it's a job. Okay, which, I can see that. Yeah, which isn't a bad thing at all. It's an it's something to take your mind off of your real job. You know, you come and you come home and boot up Death Stranding. And it's like, okay, now I gotta deliver these packages.
1: Yeah, mine's more literal of a job. Yours is just get rid of this guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, Far Cry is more like, okay, that can be an assassin for a little bit.
1: Yeah, me is like, okay, something. so from this time to this time, you're doing your main job. From this time to that time, now you're delivering packages. Yes, sir.
0: <laughs> well, that's like people that do the simulator games. I know a guy, and um, he would get off of work and he would go play, I think it was like um, it was a racing simulator, but not like you would think. It's not like GT7 no. VR or something. It was it was a racing simulator to where you had to actually work within that world to get money to buy the parts <laughs> for your car to then put together your car. Isn't that like My Long
1: Summer? I, th- I think that's the name of the game.
0: <sighs> something like that. But yeah. that's, a, that's like a literal second job that you don't <laughs> Get paid for,
1: yeah. I mean, even me for a while ago, I was playing Power Wash Simulator, just a like nice, that, yeah, yeah. But in that sense, um, yeah, sometimes it's just nice to do something like that without having to go through the hassle of actually having to do that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Those games where it kind of <laughs> takes your mind off everything, and you can just you can just drift. It doesn't require a lot of you, but it requires you to be. In the world, well, not even
1: that, but there's no real consequence if you mess up. That too, if you're you're just playing for the sake of playing. If you wanted to mess around with it, no one's going to stop you. You're not going to set a company back or get laid off because of it.
0: That's a perfect example. So, Far Cry is that game for me. Death Stranding (laughs) was that game for me. I don't play too many games like that because I like to play games that are are very involved, action uh, heavy, action heavy narrative. Uh, oriented i don't play many open world games like that where you can just uh get lost
1: yeah and for me i used to be like that a lot i mean the older the generation games were it was the best type of games but now moving forward i'm more into roguelites replayability something that you can get more out of each time you play it but those open world games definitely hold a lot of value even now with the modern games that are at like death stranding and far cry. All
0: right. So let me ask you about roguelites because I'm playing a game. Like it's my job, mm-hmm. which is Mario Kart, okay. And essentially it's Mario a roguelite. Rogue light. <laughs> it's a roguelite because what happens is you boot it up, right? Okay. Oh, I'm going to do this run and your run is whatever cup you want to do. Mm. I got these four tracks. Mm. You do the run and let's say you get uh, second place. Oh, well, I got to do this run again. And you no. keep doing that same run until no. you get first place.
1: No, 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 no. You're thinking of roguelike. Uh, this is a little bit on the technical side. Roguelike is where if you play it and your stuff, you know, you progress as you play it. But when you end it, you're back at the beginning. Roguelite is where you're gaining progression stuff that you could carry over to the next thing. So let's just say in the example, oh, you finish second place, but now you start with a mushroom boost. And then let's say it's a cup, for instance. And like the next race, you make first, and then oh, now you can I don't know, you can drift 50% faster. So roguelite's a more progression outside of you know, the game that you're playing so if you lose it then you have the chance to use those um upgrades and perks again.
0: Okay, so what would you consider a battle royale type of game? Cuz I am I have this theory uh this opinion that battle royales are roguelite. Um uh, not
1: necessarily. I mean, battle royales are I guess more roguelike in that concept, but essentially a battle royale should just be something where you are fighting to be the last one left. Um, Hunt showdown as an example.
0: So the caveat to that are battle passes. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Um, I'm just let's just use Fortnite as an example. Right. Your goal is obviously to be the last person alive, so you can mm-hmm. win the battle royale. Yeah. But when I play Fortnite, which I hardly do anymore, right? I what I thought was fun was actually completing the missions. Oh. And if if you complete the missions, even though it's a battle royale. When you get outside of that run or that match or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you have the unlockables or the progression. But if I guess it's all cosmetic anyways. So.
1: Well, there was um, a while back, it was like season two or something like that. But basically it was the whole spy themed mm-hmm. era. They had a mini map, like not mini map, I'm sorry, but a mini game mode where you did have some level of progression where you can rank up and then get items that you could bring in that I'd say is more roguelite.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Um anything involving cosmetics usually aren't considered roguelite because they don't offer an impactful progression once you boot it up again. They just offer some flair or something nice that you can wear while you do the same thing you were doing already.
0: Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, so I've been, pl- I've been playing Far Cry and Mario Kart. The DLC just came out today for Mario Kart. Oh, and nice. they're they're adding six total new uh, playable characters from now to the end of the year. Oh. So they added Birdo today, and then people Wait, are Wait, Birdo was
1: only released just recently?
0: Yes, Birdo was only in Double Dash for the GameCube.
1: Okay, so it has been a bit then.
0: Yes, so they released Birdo today, and then there's going to be five more new playable characters uh, in the next two waves throughout the end of the year. Oh, cool. All right, those are the two games I'm playing. You're playing Death Stranding, so is there anything else you want to say about that?
1: Yeah, um, obviously I told you about Death Stranding. Um, I'm still playing Path of Champions on the side. That's kind of like my in-between thing. But um, recently, I've been getting back into Total War, Warhammer 3. Um, have you heard of that?
0: A little bit, a little bit.
1: Okay, so... It's, it's basically an overworld real-time strategy game,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the concept of it is just that you control armies, and those armies can capture stuff like Risk. But um, I've just been getting into it because the concept of this big sandbox Risk map that you com- you know command and conquer stuff, you have different factions, so you have a lot of variety and in- how you want to play your armies, and I just like the the universe of all the different uh, races that you have available to play as.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I I know a little bit about it because the game that's similar to that would be Eight Bit Army. That I'm kind of interested in. I've always wanted to play it or just kind of dabble in it to see if I'm into those type of you know top down RTS games where you okay. control armies and whatnot. Sure the 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 um what is it the um the art style and story or not story but the design I guess of Total war Warhammer three doesn't really intrigue me, but something like an eight bit army yeah that's I, something I might hop into
1: sure and if you're not someone who usually plays that type of genre, something introductory like that doesn't hurt and it gets you you know, an opportunity to see if you want to go further or if you just want to leave it just at that.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, Total War, Warhammer 3, Path of Champions, Death, and Stranding. Death Stranding. Yep. What what a catalog.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Diverse, huh?
0: Diverse catalog right there. Yeah, I'm, I gotta get back into God of War. That's the kind of game I just gotta take a break from. Yeah. Um, and then cleanse my palate with a Far Cry and then just get back into God of War. So this year, I've, I beat Horizon, Forbidden West, loved it. Crazy, crazy ending, and I love sci-fi. It is just the most sci-fi ending in any sci-fi thing ever. Loved yeah. it. uh Next would be God of War. I'm hopefully gonna beat that soon, and you know I could talk about that when we get back on here.
1: Yeah, because so. there's stuff I want to share with yeah. you, but you're missing out on.
0: Yeah, hopefully I'll I'll get through that soon, and then we can talk all all about it. Yeah. All right, so we had a few episodes ago um, gave our metacritic uh predictions and 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 then our metacritic draft right so a few games have come out since then that are on our metacritic list. I can run through the overall games right now and then we can talk about how each one of us are we're faring in our own uh, our own list yeah Atomic Heart. I've been playing that. I talked a little bit about it last week. That got a 78 on Metacritic. Octopath Traveler 2, 84 Metacritic. Mm -hmm. Decent. Horizon Call the Mountain. It has a 79. I'm seeing so many people give it great reviews. So I think it just has that stigma of VR attached to it right now.
1: And just because the price tag for the PSVR 2 is so pricey, it's not as available. As if it was, say, something on Oculus or, I don't know, HTC Vive, that category.
0: Yeah, that's true. The All the gameplay I've seen from it, it looks amazing. Yeah. Another game also with 79 on Metacritic, Wild Hearts. Huh, good figure. That's kind of surprising to me. I was expecting higher, but 79. Uh, and the last on the list, Hogwarts Legacy, coming out to a 90 on the Xbox Series consoles, yes, which is a huge, huge uh score for you. You had Hogwarts, Horizon, Call of Mountain, and Atomic Heart, yeah. And so, so adding, far,
1: yeah, go ahead, yeah. Well,
0: adding them up and then finding the average, you're <laughs> at an 82, so that's pretty good, yeah. Three games, 82, not bad. I had Octopath Traveler 2, which is an 84, and Wild Hearts at 79. So that puts me at 81.5. So essentially, we are neck and neck right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny how even with that third game, I just barely scraped by. And we still have games down the road. We'll see whether they make it or how they review. And it's just a matter of time.
0: Yeah. And what's fun about doing this is you never know throughout the year what can happen. Oh, yeah. For instance, I had Starfield on my list because... (laughs) It's supposed to come out the first half of the year, and they delayed it to September. Who knows? They might delay it the next year, and then I lose out on others' points, like the Wolf Among Us 2, which is on your list.
1: Yeah, that's unfortunate, but, you know, ov- overall, I'm happy that they're taking the time on it. It just sucks in terms of this, uh, you know, scoring that we got going on, like the draft.
0: I agree. So we're neck and neck. We will continue to update this list as games come out throughout the year. Yep. Um, So with that topic of the show, we've been talking a lot about video games, more so the recent video games that have been coming out. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about games that we consider masterpieces or games that we think should be called masterpieces. And these can be games. There's no rules of when these games come out or what they score it's just our personal you know games that we think are masterpieces so i'm actually going to start with you we have a list here (laughs) and you can start with honorable mentions and then we'll actually get into the games we think should be called masterpieces but we have some honorable mentions before we get there
1: yeah okay cool um did you want to do me then you or just go through my list and then you go through yours
0: for the honorable mentions, go through all yours, and then we'll go back and forth for the uh, the main list.
1: Okay, um, I guess I'll go with the list, and if you want to delve into it, we can. Uh, starting as first honorable mention, I have Slay the Spire. Second is Factorio. And then third is a PC game called anti
0: Okay, I can make my assumptions here, but tell me why they're honorable mentions.
1: Okay, Slay the Spire... In its field is an amazing game. Um, It's a, for those who don't know, it's a card deck building roguelite. And obviously, you progress, you pick cards as you win. The core game is really fun. It's mainly towards the play style of drafting, removing, getting power ups the thing that I think kind of falls short and this is just bit of a personal thing. It's the difficulty um, for certain characters as you progress the, I guess, Ascension tier where you amp it up, certain things become less creative and it becomes more rigid in how you build certain things. Like if you start going in the higher difficulties, you have to play in this deck type in order to deal with these threats the most efficiently and i'm i'm sure it's part of like the end game type of thing but even for the you know lower difficulties or just base you only have four archetypes really to play as the so four characters And i'm just personally would have liked it if they had more to give more variety out of it
0: so Slay the Spire, that would be um, a deck building. It's one of the best, you would say, one of the best deck building games. Oh, yeah, games. In it's okay.
1: category, it's genre, yeah.
0: So that's an, that's interesting. M- my games are consistently in one type of genre mm. for this, so it's, it's nice to see a deck building game because those are a lot of fun. Obviously, <laughs> I've been ref- refraining from talking about Marvel Snap in every episode. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm like at level <laughs> 3000 on it right now. Uh, in love with it. So I completely understand the
1: We have the our vice. Building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The deck the, the champions, yours yeah. is Marvel Snap. That's, that's fine.
0: All right. So Factorio.
1: Okay. Factorio. Um, also kind of in its category. Um, the base game, you know, is phenomenal in itself. You start off with nothing. And you have to work your way up via resource management and building things into other things in a compound type of manufacturing. Uh, you basically got to work with what you have available. I mean, music is decent. It's nice, you know, subtle, uh And just the gameplay of the factory and as you're building it is really good. The thing that kind of sells it short is that there's a lot more stuff that you know becomes you know more quality of life and more I guess that makes it more perfect under mods and if those mods or at least a handful of them were in the base game, then yes this would be perfect. I, I have a
0: very aside. similar pick just like that.
1: okay, but to wrap this up, um, the game itself is really, really good. I love playing it a lot and and one of those games I just pick up and play every once in a while. Um, I have 388 hours on it which isn't a lot for some people but for me it is Um, but to get to the point it's definitely good but could be better if more was in the vanilla
0: experience That's fair, so anti-chamber for PC, I've never heard of this game
1: Yeah, this is one of those games that kind of popped up on my radar way back, this is a first person exploration slash puzzle game and it's basically, it's mostly a black and white type of setting, but you go through these rooms and you have to do these challenges in order to make your way through the whole game overall. But what's really neat about it is you're playing and you have these little, I guess, text cards that pop up on in the atmosphere or I guess the environment and you click on them and they give you some little life lesson, usually some simple stuff like you know sometimes it's okay to backtrack in order to get the answer that you need or stuff like you know at first if you don't succeed try again those are more basic ones but overall the game gives you little stuff like that that's just neat to give you a more positive perspective instead of just going at a more direct approach um reason why it's not masterpiece per se is just the obscurity is one of its things it's just Not many people know of it. And also, sometimes the puzzles that you try to do can be difficult, but the game doesn't really tell you how to deal with it. It just shows you this is a room that you could go to, but not necessarily how you deal with it if you're stumped.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm watching the trailer right now. Very interesting. Reminds me of almost something like The Stanley Parable.
1: In a sense. I mean, Stanley Parable... Is more open-ended, even though it's not. I'd say Anti-Chamber is more explorative, and Stanley Parable is more, I guess, how much of a middle finger can I give to the game?
0: That's true. This one seems like it has at least a message. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess Stanley Parable does have a message. It does, to a degree. (laughs) (laughs) But I know what you mean. Yeah. This game looks very interesting. Okay, cool. That's cool. So that almost... Almost makes a masterpiece.
1: Yeah, just if it was simpler to play and if it was one of those games that more people knew of.
0: All right, so on to my honorable mentions. Okay. Ratchet & Clank, A Crack in Time. Nice. This game is, I think, the best Ratchet & Clank game out of all of them. And I could see the argument for uh, Rift Apart being the best one. I think maybe um, technically it is the best one, like technically, as in, yeah, you know, what it does,
1: what it's capable of doing, what it's
0: capable of mechanically, uh, everything. But in terms of an actual ratchet and clink game with the narrative, uh, the world, the design, it's not, as, this game is from, I believe, 2009. So mm-hmm. obviously it's not as advanced. And sure. looking back, it, it seems dated. But at the time, it was considered the first, uh, it was considered a Pixar movie but playable. It, the game was huh. advanced for its time. Uh, the design, like I said, with the weapons and the worlds and the puzzles way ahead of its time. It is. I think it's as close to a masterpiece as a game can be. But, but it just it's held back by some story aspects which lend to the design. Uh, an example would be They split Ratchet and Clank up in the game. Okay. So they do the same thing in Rift Apart, but Rift Apart does this better. And it's actually, it reminded me a lot of Kraken Time. Because when they split Ratchet and Clank up, Ratchet gets uh, his hover boots. So he can essentially do what he could do with Clank, but now he has boots to do it. And Clank has always had his own levels, which consisted of puzzles. The Clank (laughs) levels are puzzles, the Ratchet levels are action. Mm -hmm. the clank levels in this game are very interesting because it's a game all about time so you can uh, manipulate time with clank to figure out puzzles you do something and then you reverse time and that copy of yourself does that part of the puzzle while now your present self does another part of the puzzle
1: yeah I've seen games like that that's a cool concept
0: it's a very cool concept and this was obviously the first time they tried something like this and though it you know it worked, it just left a little bit to be desired, you know. So this game ten uh nine out of ten at least. Yeah, I can definitely I can definitely see the argument of why it's not a ten out of ten, but definitely a nine out of ten for sure. Love the game, best thratch and clink game. All right, yeah. My second pick Guardians of the Galaxy twenty twenty one. Oh, okay. <sighs> it does a lot. And it does a lot, very, very well, but it does not master one specific aspect. Okay. And that would be the choice-based aspect of the game. Oh. It's a lot of fun, but it doesn't have a big impact on the story. So you are left with making decisions. And what it does, these, dec- these decisions affect your relationships with the characters. So for instance, I wanted to build a great relationship with Drax. So anytime it came to helping out Drax or supporting Drax, I picked those decisions. Anytime it came to Rocket, I just wanted to uh, ruin his life, basically. So I would, I would pick the choices that made him mad, very mad. Okay, And it affected I, kind of the synergy with the characters, um, just with dialogue. It didn't affect your synergy with them if you were trying to do team attacks or work cooperative you know cooperatively with these characters Uh uh-huh and there was you know there was a part where we had to sneak into the stronghold right but we needed somebody to be prisoner so i came between picking groot as being our prisoner or having rocket be the prisoner so i wanted to lock um uh, did i say ratchet
1: uh, I think you kind of said rocket, but you almost—I think you corrected yourself. Well, I just realized second.
0: going from game to game, ratchet and rocket, and, and that's why they make that joke in Endgame. Anyways, yeah. um, but I put rocket in the cage, right? And mm-hmm. he gets super mad, and he breaks out of the cage, all mad, and it's like this rabid animal. <laughs> um, so you can do things like that, and it it branches off into different story paths. So let's say I would have picked Groot, um, I would have got a skin for Rocket that I would have found. But mm. since I picked Rocket, I found a skin for Groot. So now, if I wanted to get the Platinum, I would have to go back and pick the opposite choice. Yeah. So it's... I think if they would have made the choices more consequential, this could have been a 10 out of 10. But it was very much like, okay, let's dabble in a lot of these areas. Like the the combat with the with the elements and the cooperative, I guess, tag team type battle mechanics they had. It was a lot of fun. And then, obviously, the narrative choices versus uh, choices that you would pick to impact the gameplay. It was just almost like, okay, take this path or this path. It didn't affect the overall story enough to be a 10 out of 10. But it did everything so well. It's a 9 out of 10. It's it's amazing game.
1: Yeah, and I've only seen gameplay of it in just terms of the actual playing of the character. And it feels like a Final Fantasy 15 yes. type of combat system.
0: Feels like um, Final Fantasy VII Remake.
1: Okay. I mean, my only gripe with that is the previous Marvel game, you know, Avengers yeah. gave you a roster you could play as and do other characters' play style, but this is just limited to um, Starfire.
0: Uh yeah, so Star Lord
1: Star Lord my vibe. Um
0: yeah, so you would basically direct the other people um on the team what to do, but you only played through the eyes of Star Lord, which works better in this game and I'm glad they did it because the story is focused around Star Lord. so okay it's one reason I, I love the game and it's on here is because it is so heavily uh, narrative focused. Love those type of games. Uh, You'll see as we get further along in my list. So my last honorable mention: Sonic Adventure for the Dreamcast. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I go back and forth whether or not it's the best Sonic game. It is so close to being a masterpiece, but the only thing that holds it back is it being a Dreamcast game. But what makes it almost a masterpiece is the fact that it is a Dreamcast game.
1: Right. So because it's a Dreamcast game, it's both a on the verge of being a masterpiece, but being held from being a masterpiece.
0: Yes, and it's almost contra- you know contradictory to itself. Yeah. But it was very, it's, it's so advanced for its time being a Dreamcast game.
1: Oh sure, yeah, that was a very revolutionary game system.
0: Yeah, and you know, my whole life I've lo- I've loved Sonic Adventure two more up until recently. I've really come to appreciate Sonic Adventure, and it's not the technical. Um, you know the technical feat that makes it a masterpiece because it's on Dreamcast. It is actually, I think, it's the storytelling and the character development in the game that makes it almost a masterpiece.
1: Yeah, I know. With one, it goes between other character storylines, an interwoven type of, you know, it goes it goes from one person's story to another's, and it jumps as you play each character's.
0: Story. Yes, and I love those type of games. My favorite game ever is Sly 2, Band of Thieves. All right. And it has that type of um, storytelling with jumping from character perspectives.
1: Yeah, one beginning doesn't necessarily mean it's a beginning for another character.
0: Exactly. And in this game, it it really does it masterfully. So what holds it back is the Dreamcast
1: game <laughs> Dreamcast
0: games. Love Dreamcast, love the system. I definitely think that the mechanics of Sonic Adventure 2 on Dreamcast, it's more fluid. Yeah. So what happens is you when you get to Sonic Adventure, you want to put mods on it. And it's kind of the same thing you were talking about with Factorio. Yeah. The vanilla game is amazing, but when you go back to Sonic Adventure and you put the mods in to have it have Dreamcast graphics but with um, better physics, the game becomes a masterpiece. So I think it's the cl- uh, the closest it can be to a masterpiece in its vanilla version on Dreamcast, right? Especially with, like I said, the story. The story has consequences. It has stakes. You know, each character has its own playstyle and um, individual story that gets woven into the main story within the game. You know, I wish I wish we could do a whole episode on Sonic Adventure. Okay. <laughs> so that's why. That's why it is it is honorable mention. Game is amazing. So what we'll do, we'll go back and forth. Okay. Please, please just get into why this is an underrated <laughs> masterpiece, this first one.
1: Alright, yeah. So um Caleb here saw the list beforehand, and I know this is gonna be a somewhat polarizing opinion, but mag for the PS3 I think should have been a masterpiece for its time
0: I don't disagree I just
1: I mean, look don't get me wrong there are other games I could have picked that would be closer to masterpieces but the problem is the other games I had in mind were either high rated or would have been masterpieces already so yeah that's true diving into this specifically this Actually, revolutionized the way you know um, first person shooter games of later you know iterations down the road took inspiration from. I mean, just to start off with, it's a squad based objective um, team game, but the kicker is that you have 256 players. At the max in one game, and that's never been done before in any console game for that matter. Sure, you might have some MMOs here and there, but that's different from an objective-based first-person shooter combat. So that's basically 128 players for both teams, and... The squad system... Let me tell you about that real quick. The squad system actually takes real players and it breaks them down almost, you know, like tournament style. So you have, like, the person at the very top. They're, like, the commanders. And they're the ones that basically... They don't tell the other people what to do, in a sense, but they put the objective markers down that the other lower... Brackets and turn you know follow because you get bonus XP for following these missions. So that's the incentive right there. I think you have games like Squad. You have games like Hell Let Loose that have a high player base, but not only do they lack in that player capacity, um, you don't have a major incentive to follow the instructions. I mean, aside from, yes, you win the game, but that's hit or miss. I mean, the XP incentive really sells the concept of, yes, I have a reason for following this other than I hope they're right. So, you break this down. You have, like, a captain. You have, like, platoons. You have squadrons. Then the main players and the lower ranks obviously have their grunt work. But as you go higher up, you can communicate down below and issued those commands and i mean it's been a while and it's probably dated but the combat you know first person shooter seemed solid enough that i enjoyed playing
0: it was good it was good yeah
1: but yeah getting back to the whole thing i think it's a masterpiece because it revolutionized the further games you know like i said hell it loose squad other games of that genre that are squad based but it did that on a PS3 with more players, and the only way you can ever compete to that number of players is if you go on PC. I've yet to see a a non MMO game that could, you know, host up to 256 players at once.
0: And that was on PS3. Yeah. Um, I love doing this because. I would have never picked Mag, but I don't... Yeah. It's not that I disagree with you. You know, <laughs> I feel like I was one of the few that actually played Mag back in the day. Yeah. Me, yeah, like same. It, yeah, I feel like it was not that popular of a game. It didn't have the licensing behind it, like a Call of Duty or Battlefield.
1: Or Killzone, for that matter.
0: Or even Killzone, especially, yeah, because this was a PS3 exclusive, and, and so mm-hmm. was Killzone. Especially, Killzone 2 became the competitive shooter on PlayStation. Yeah. Mag never reached that, but... Mag was a very interesting experience at the time. It was, it was crazy. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking of modern games like Battlefield 2046 that try to recreate, you know, a massive squad-based open world objective, whatever you want to call it, like Mag did. What almost 15 years ago, probably.
1: Yeah, actually, funny you mentioned that. This is a little bit out of, um, you know, out of the story of what you're doing, but Battlefield 2042 is available on. Yes. PlayStation Plus right now. Just for those of you curious,
0: is Mag on PlayStation? Like no, right now? Well,
1: no, Mag is not. I meant Battlefield Twenty yeah. Two.
0: Yeah. That uh, stinker.
1: It's a stinker, but it's free, so <laughs> yes. you, you can't go wrong with something that's zero dollars. Well, <laughs> I mean, you can, but yeah, uh, just don't play it if you don't like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Mag's. That's a great choice. That's yeah. is that is definitely an underrated masterpiece for Thank sure. Thank you. That's that's a great pick. All right, mine is going to be very um, controversial here, so I'll just get into my my pick: Tomb Raider
1: 2013. Oh, nice! Actually, I I, I like that one.
0: Here's the thing: Tomb Raider 2013 released after the uh, original Uncharted trilogy with Uncharted One, Two, and Three. Okay, I think Uncharted Two and Three are far better games there sure. in Tomb Raider 2013. And these games really they at the time they got compared to each other. You know, when Tomb Raider 2013 came out, the revival of that series, it was directly compared to Uncharted. And I guess rightfully so, it copied a lot of the elements Uncharted, you know, had. But Tomb Raider was not trying to copy the same exact formula as Uncharted. It, it of course it took a lot of inspiration But you can argue that the Uncharted series took a lot of inspiration from the original Tomb Raider games in the first
1: place. Oh, yeah. Even the ones that were on, what, PlayStation 2 down the road.
0: Yes. So, if we just take away the comparison, you know, between the series and just look at Tomb Raider 2013 as a standalone game. Okay. Uncharted 2, as a standalone game, it's better. You know, that's a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Uncharted 3, that's a 10 out of 10. These games, I believe, you know, I I personally like them more, but Tomb Raider 2013 is a masterpiece in what it accomplishes on its own. Let's not focus on the comparisons. But Tomb Raider 2013 has one of the best paced story campaigns, whatever you want to call it, in any game I've ever played. I played it through a year or two ago just because I I felt like it. Yeah. The story is extremely well done and paced for a 2013 game. What's another 2013 game that came out? And it's uh, funny. It's a game from Naughty Dog, one of the greatest games ever made. The Last of Us. Oh, there we go. The Last of Us has a very, very well paced story. And it's very linear. It's not semi-open world. It is, it is linear completely. Yep. Tomb Raider had an interesting... Approach to its story, you know, it wasn't completely open world. It was, is still linear, but it was sort of open world with actual tombs that you can raid. You know, hence the name. Mm-hmm. This is one reason that this, you know, I think should be considered a masterpiece because it's not a linear game like Uncharted,
1: yeah, definitely, or
0: or Last of Us that came out at the time, and another 2013 game that was linear. That it is controversial. Bioshock Infinite, which we could get into that, but Tomb Raider took the uh, you know linear story approach with the tombs that you could raid throughout the game. So you get to the semi-open world area, and you have to get the clues, whatever, to find the tomb. And then once you get into the tomb, it's an entire tomb you can explore. So the game felt um, explorative, you know what I mean, while it was still a narrative game with. Kind of janky controls, but it actually controlled well. It was one of those games where it wasn't janky bad, it was just janky different. So once you learn how to control the jank of it, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It was quite, you know, charming with the way that they handled third person shooting. And this one had a pretty fun multiplayer too, where um, you know, that that those mechanics lend, you know, v- lended well to an online type of uh, multiplayer.
1: Yeah, just like the last of us did with their multiplayer.
0: Exactly. Just like how the last of us did with uh, factions. So Tomb Raider 2013, because of the pacing and design of the story and that linear um, story through a semi-open world where you still had the tombs that you could raid, I think Tomb Raider 2013 was just completely overshadowed by the other games that came out that year. Actually, I think Bioshock it came out in 2012. I'm
1: Uh, 2013s would I'm say.
0: right? Okay, yeah. Two for that? two. All right, these were the games that I was very big into at the time. So, Tomb Raider, I know I can tell you, it was definitely overshadowed by, uh, Last of Us, by Bioshock Infinite, mm-hmm. um, by the game by games like Uncharted, that were very similar to the feel of Tomb Raider. However, a lot of people consider Tomb Raider 2013 to be a great start for a revival of the franchise, and I think it's the best one of the trilogy. So, underrated masterpiece for sure.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: All right. Your, your next one is... Uh, uh, it is a masterpiece, so you're going to have to tell uh, me why it's underrated. S-
1: Okay, so I'm going to say this because I pulled up the Metacritic reviews on this specifically.
0: I'm about to do that too. Yeah,
1: Go ahead, do that. (laughs) Um, Before I get into the game, because this is a big, like, how is it not masterpiece? I'll get into that. It had an 85% Metacritic review, and I'm talking about the first Kingdom Hearts game for PlayStation 2. Now, this is why... No, get me wrong I think it's a masterpiece. That's why it's on here specifically. I okay. just i am saying that it should be higher than what it is. And I think we're both on agreement on that specific thought process before yeah. I dive into it. So, for anyone who's living under a rock, so to speak, Kingdom Hearts is the first Square Enix game to bridge its company with Disney. And it is a JRPG. And the places that you go are inspired, if not directly in correlation with movies of, you know, Disney's past to some degree. The combat is unique in the sense it plays, I guess, like Final Fantasy Um, in the sense that you have a drop-down menu. And obviously your attack button you can use however you want, but for stuff like magic or items, you have to kind of scroll through that in a bit in the midst of battle. And aside from that, I mean, the game, I got introduced to this game because it was Disney. I didn't even know about the Square Enix part. I think I was, you know, like nine or ten at the time. So this is just me hearing about Disney is doing a crossover game who wouldn't want to play it. But when you actually get into the meat and bones of the game, oh boy, the story is, it could argue that it's cheesy, but it fits for both realms of Square Enix and Disney. That's true, yeah. Yeah, the RPG element is probably one of the ones I like the most of the series because it gave you, you know, as you level up your characters... It gave you abilities, but also gave you HP and magic bar upgrades. And further down the road, they changed that formula to um, certain story battles, giving you that. But in the original Kingdom Hearts game, you could get those initial like HP and magic bar upgrades just by leveling up so if you want to you could just grind it out at like a, an obscure place hit 99 and be like yeah I'm ready for the end game content um, the I mean I the music is phenomenal it takes inspiration from the Disney Worlds at in, like uh, but the Night before Christmas Agraba Tarzan's world you have inside the Monstro beast from Pinocchio I mean there's a lot of different things about this, but I'm going to try to wrap it up just very quickly. The game isn't quite a masterpiece, only because it's polarizing for when it first was introducing the concept. You have these two worlds of extreme opposites, and this is their first game together, and a lot of people were skeptic about that, and I think people probably didn't play it at first for that main reason. Like, oh, Square Enix fans are like, what are they doing with Disney? Why can't they just stick to Final Fantasy? And the Disney people are like, what is this other company? I've never even heard of it before. So it just, I think it fell short in that regard because the fan base was so split at the time.
0: Yeah, and if I can add anything, I believe the second Kingdom Hearts is, you know, what everybody considers a masterpiece.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt. That's where it takes everything from one and flushes it out into a more, you know, rooted, you know, experience. And yeah, and the foundation, the fan base is more, you know, they are established because they played one.
0: And that's kind of the same argument I had with um, Sonic Adventure, except with um, Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) You know, it is, you know, it's the jank that I think people can't get over. But if it's if you look at the Awkwardness or the jank of the gummy ship or the camera or mm-hmm. something like that—it kind of makes it a very, you know, charming game with you know that's something special, uh, especially yeah. on the PS2. It's definitely one of the greatest games on the PS2. Um, I
1: believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely it's
0: it is it's an underrated masterpiece for sure. Sure. I would definitely call it one. All right, and I don't know if there's a theme going on of of first <laughs> first games in a series, but. My next is Batman Arkham Asylum. Uh-huh. I'm seeing a lot
1: of gritty explorative type games for me so far.
0: <laughs> I guess. And I'm I'm going against everything that I used to think because my top probably my second or third favorite game of all time is Batman Arkham City. Yeah. And Arkham City, you know, it's scored higher. People consider Arkham City the masterpiece. But what Arkham Asylum does, even though City expands on everything Arkham Asylum did. Arkham Asylum mastered what it did, even though yeah. it did less of what yeah. City implemented.
1: But I think that's kind of the same thing with Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts 2, just that jump from, okay, we're starting off with this, but then we're going to make it better down the road.
0: Yes, I played Arkham Asylum uh, two years ago, and I loved it. You know, I, I remember playing Arkham Asylum way back in the day when it first came out. I want to say 2008. And I loved it, of course. Huge Batman fan. But Arkham Asylum, what it does is it puts you in the shoes of Batman, but it doesn't put you in the city of Gotham. It puts you into Arkham Asylum. And what I liked is you weren't um, flying from building to building. You were crawling in vents from room to room in an insane asylum. And it was a smaller scope, but you were trapped in in an asylum with batman's rogues gallery yeah. and although it was a smaller scale than city it didn't need to be any bigger than it was what it what it is is a game where batman is trapped on an island with his rogues gallery like joker bane killer croc you know these people that you know you fight during the game and it's 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 almost like a horror game in a way, especially the croc battle. That's I remember being so scared when I first played that section. Um, what it does, it does masterfully. The game mechanics are tight. It's a, again, it's a little janky, but this was a PS3 game, Xbox 360 era game. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a game where you run around and jump, and it's fast paced. This was a slow this was a slow game where you used his detective skills, you used his gadgets, you 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 tackled each scenario and each room you went in with multiple people in a very uh tactical uh strategic way.
1: Yeah, and I want to touch up just very briefly. Okay. I mean, like you said, it's a, an atmosphere where you would think that Batman has it the odds against him, but to quote um Watchmen, with Warshak when he was in prison, it's I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with
0: me. Yeah, that that's the perfect quote for why this game is a masterpiece. Yeah, it, it it does it perfectly. There, yeah, there are more gadgets in the second game. There's more story and characters in the second game. There's more things to explore in the second game, but that also leaves more room for error. In this first game, yeah, there's some jank to it. Mm-hmm. The combat was fluid for the time. Still, It's still fluid for even today's standards. Look at Gotham Knights. <laughs> this game puts Gotham Knights to shame. But all of it's the, not even close.
1: No, you could say that with all of the prior Arkham games, if you want to really split the hairs.
0: Oh, yeah. no, Not even close. <laughs> and a lot of people say that City is the best game. Uh, some people even say Arkham Knight is the best. But there's a small section of the fan base that sticks with Arkham Asylum being the best. And I don't know where I stand on it because my favorite will be City. It'll always yeah. be City. But Arkham Asylum is no doubt a 10 out of 10. It's a masterpiece.
1: Sure. And I agree with that. It's definitely a nice game to get the you know the Batman series booted up and it fits the Gotham's gritty universe really well. V-
0: Very well. So we both <laughs> talked about the first games in the series are the first things to revolutionize something. Now we have two left, and they're both sequels Sequels that take the bar that was set and raise it so high that you cannot say that these aren't masterpieces. So go ahead with yours.
1: Yeah, I actually found that you know coincidence really interesting just looking at the list. But yeah, um, my third game, um, to finish up my list, is... Risk of Rain 2, and it's on Steam PC and a few of the main um, main consoles, but where do I start? Um, whenever you're ready, I could go ahead and dive into this one. Tell me about it. Alright, so going back a little bit, Risk of Rain 1, um, I've told you before how I'm a big fan of roguelite games, and Risk of Rain 1 was no exception. 1 was a pixelated roguelite shooter um had multiple classes um and you basically had to find the exit of that stage and then fight a boss i would i would have put risk of rain 1 as honorable mention but my biggest thing i didn't like was how small the character was and how long it took to find the you know the ending not the ending but the exit two takes that formula of everything in one and addresses all the issues it had so going from one it was a 2d scroller two it is a 3d open map it that looks so board. fun oh it's phenomenal and you basically have your character have loadouts that you can unlock as you beat the game with those character doing achievements but for the sake of you know conversation, we'll say that they have one primary, they have a secondary, a dodge, and then ultimate. And each character, I think there's maybe what 10 or so, but you have so many different play styles, and the thing that makes the game shine is you're finding enemies you kill, and they give you currency, and you open up chests and shops in the game, that give you augmenting abilities. You know, something that if you attack an enemy, it'll shoot electricity to two or three nearby enemies doing percentage damage. But the the thing that makes Risk of Rain 2 really, really good is it's a difficulty based off of time. The longer it takes for you to beat the game, the harder the game will get in terms of the frequency of enemies, the difficulty well, in terms of I guess the variety that they send you and they actually throw in different modifiers that will hinder you and then they even throw bosses as standard enemies when you get crazy enough and it's just, you want to get to the point where you're snowballing and destroying them but there's so much fun and even, you know, dying because you realize, okay, I messed up here I want to go back into it and figure out, you know, if I can try a different build to just, you know, decimate everyone in front of me.
0: I've watched gameplay. I think I've even watched you play. Um, Game looks so much fun. I actually would like to jump into it.
1: it. Yeah, it's one of those games that if you've never played the first one, that's okay. You don't need to play the first one to get into the second one. It's a standalone game on its own the part that doesn't make it a masterpiece specifically is the fact that it's got a learning curve to it and some people just aren't into you know difficult to master type of games and i feel that could be a setback right there the game also will give you stuff to unlock but some of the challenges can be really tough that you might just not even get to unlocking them conventionally. So that's another setback behind it. But aside from the difficulty curve, just base gameplay, and trying to unlock everything, everything else about this hits all my marks.
0: I like it. Great, great pick. Thank you. And I'm
1: going to save the best for last.
0: (laughs) I have another... I have a sequel. And we've been talking about games from... You know, different console eras. generations, different eras. So I want to go back just a few years uh, to 2021. Mm-hmm. It's a bad era. <laughs> the uh, the game, uh, you know, there's a game that came out uh, called It Takes Two. Mm-hmm. Certified masterpiece at one game of the year. Uh, one of my, probably my top five in my top five games ever. Absolutely loved it. Another great game came out, Rift uh, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Huh. This year was the launch of the new consoles um, as yep. well. There was a lot of competition this year. And I say that to say there was another masterpiece that went under the radar this year in 2021. And that's Psychonauts 2.
1: Really? That went under the radar? I thought that had a lot of buzz with it.
0: It it did. It did. It. Um. I can't remember if it was nominated for Game of the Year that year. I think it was... Um, but it was overshadowed by a lot that year, especially yeah. the Apart, because a lot of people compare uh, Ratchet and Clank games, uh, th- those games, to kind of how Psychonauts is. And I'm going to get into that, because one of the fun things about Ratchet and Clank is it's a sci-fi story, and you're exploring different cultures throughout the galaxies um, and different planets, and that's fun to see and play through. Mm-hmm. Psychonauts really caught me off guard of how much I enjoyed it because it's also a sci-fi story, but instead of exploring different cultures in the universe, you're exploring the different intricacies and depths in people's minds. The yeah. game is about, you know, heading into uh, the minds of people. So Psychonauts two, I never played the first one. I know of it. It, it looked kind of janky. i never I never really had the opportunity to play it.
1: I played a bit of it. It's it's definitely really good for its time. Um, I think there are some things that I could have done better, but it was solid for the
0: generation it released in. So I'm a big fan of Ratchet & Clank. Uh, I'm a big fan of mascot platformers in general. Mm-hmm. I love them. Psychonauts 2, a lot of people were comparing it to Ratchet & Clank and that it's a great uh, mascot platformer. So I had, I had to check it out. I got Game Pass on PC and played it on my PC at the time. Absolutely fell in love with the game. And I was, I was, I'm on fandom right now. I was just reading about it. And it was developed by former LucasArts employee Tim Schaefer.
1: Oh, okay. So, I can see that.
0: Yeah. So it has that feel to it, it has that um, that culture behind it.
1: Well, a lot of the levels in the game are super liminal because of it being a non linear structure like you're dealing with someone's psyche so things change and dynamically alter as you go about playing the game
0: exactly and i'll put it this way this game is very hard to explain because of what you just said so i can't go through and explain really explain the, the game in depth right now i'd have to probably <laughs> play it again and write down intensive notes um but super fun game to pick up and like i said i never played the first game but the way that this game stands alone and builds off of everything the first game created. Peter McConnell w- was the composer for Psychonauts 2, which he also composed the music for all of the Sly Cooper games. Oh. So I knew instantly when I started playing Psychonauts, I said, this is the guy that made all the music <laughs> from Sly Cooper. I knew it immediately. Wow. So this game is a mascot platformer. It is it has similarities to Ratchet & Clank, has the music from uh, the, the Sly games in it, has the third-person um, action, platforming, the crazy sci-fi story. Honestly, I, this game blew me away, and I felt like it was made for me. It. I know I'm extremely biased with this one, but it's a masterpiece. The game does what it does extremely, extremely well. Uh, and if I could focus on just a few things about the game. The story. The story... absolutely amazing. I think it's probably a better story than any of the Ratchet and Clank games. I would go that far.
1: Yeah, and I've done I haven't played much of the Ratchet and Clank games, but with playing one and watching gameplay footage on YouTube for the second one, I can see that it's more rooted in how it handles the world that's given. The way the world changes dynamically to the events that happen is unlike something i've seen in a while
0: yeah it's it's a feat that this game managed to uh, accomplish in a, in a year full of games like that like it takes to it tackles the world in an interesting way where it's you know you become a toy and you see it from that perspective or ratchet and clank rift apart where you're traveling through different realities um different universes within a galaxy <laughs> And you see them from different perspectives. And this one, you're traveling through people's uh, minds. And I, for some reason, this one I loved. It was probably because of the music and the the directing and all of that. But Yeah, but I
1: mean, just from what you said, like the game itself takes a different approach to how it handles level design because there are no rules when it comes to the psyche of an individual. Some people have a more cheery disposition, some are more anxious, some have more, you know, multiple personality disorder related issues. There's a lot that this game dives into and uses to make the levels stand out.
0: Yeah, I'm reading so much about it now. It's the game the game is the game is amazing. It is oh yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Man, this game was good. I want to go back. I, I actually played on Game Pass on PC, and I've been considering buying it on PS5 to play through it again.
1: Man, I mean, I don't think I've had a game like that in a while that I doubled down and bought a second time. But I mean, if it's that much, you know, incentive for you to get again, it definitely has enough reason for it to be a masterpiece in
0: its own right. Final final comments on any of any of these games or any games that uh, you want to shout out real quick.
1: Okay. Um. I mean. I liked a lot of these games that we had picked out. I would say, you know, guess a quick shout out to Sonic Adventure because without that, um, Sonic Adventure two wouldn't have came out. And I'm personally biased towards that, but you can't get to the second game without making the foundation on the first.
0: Yeah, and it's funny whenever you you really enjoy the second game, and you're like, wow, this game is amazing. And then you go back to where it started. You just have you have a lot of respect for it.
1: Yeah, you see where it came from, and you're like, "This is, you know, good in its own right." I'm glad this came out
0: first. Yeah, it's like, oh, although this is a masterpiece, you know, as in the sequel, it's like the first one is it's it's a masterpiece
1: in its own right. Yeah, in its
0: own right. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Andy. It's been fun uh, yeah. deciding these masterpieces, um, deciding which games we consider ten out of tens.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we could share our different opinions to. What makes these games, you know, tick, and each of our own arguments and what we explain helps, you know, give depth to anyone maybe listening in for the first time.
0: Yeah, and although they're not conventional masterpieces, they should still be considered masterpieces,
1: right? And that fits in line with the theme of the topic today.
0: Exactly. So, if you got this far, thanks for listening to the episode. And we're on Apple, Spotify. I have everything out on YouTube now. Everything is on YouTube. Oh, nice. Uh, Google Podcasts, all that. So thanks and thank you, Andy. Until next time, man, have a good one. Yeah, you too.
1: Catch you guys later.